Kate, welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. Okay, and I'm still having issues with my astonishment, so you go first. What are you <laughs> very astonished good, about? Very good. Well, uh, last week I talked about um, a moment in our worship, uh, well, not just a moment, but uh, a worship service in which I discerned that there was. Um, uh, spiritual, negative spiritual activity going on in our midst. And as I sat there during the offertory music and was praying, uh, was really wrestling with what to do and ultimately decided uh, that I should just pray where I was sitting. Um, and then during the week, you know, the Lord made it very clear that I needed to address that and not do that again. I, I right. need to lead the congregation in addressing what was happening in the room. And, and you so, needed to be authentic and show up and share that's right. the whole wisdom that you had as the leader of the congregation that this is happening and yes. I'm aware. And, yes. Yeah. And so this past Sunday, I stood before the congregation during the announcement or after the announcement time um, off the platform not behind the pulpit, right in front of the front pew and said, look, I need to have a pastoral moment and just kind of walk them through what I was thinking and feeling very clearly saying, look, this is not judgment or condemnation mm -hmm. against anyone in the room. Uh, we're, we're family. We're together. It's, it's us against the enemy. It's not us against one another. This is not criticizing anyone. But um, I just took them through what I was wrestling with and what I had discerned and, um, and shared with them that I thought the Spirit was leading me uh, to lead them in a different direction next time, that the next time something like this happens in worship, that I'm to stop what we're doing, to pray, to sing, to do something to combat uh, what we discern is, is demonic activity in the room. And of course, by that we mean something other than the you know, the, the Hollywood head spinning or whatever, whatever. It's, mm -hmm. It can feel like heaviness, distraction, whatever. And um, I was astonished that after I finished this talk and I was, I turned around to go back to my seat, the congregation applauded and mm -hmm. um, it was really nice. I, I felt affirmed by that and, and, and my takeaway um, is one, the, the congregation and, and well, not just our congregation, but, but congregations in general need leaders to be vulnerable um, because mm -hmm. I, I talked to them very plainly about what I was thinking and feeling at the time, what I was wrestling with. Um, but also uh, a takeaway was the need for leaders, church leaders, to have what I'm calling an explicit faith. Mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. in our part of the body of Christ, I mean, I, I know that people have these deep convictions about godly things, but they're held so closely, they're not expressed. Uh, we can be very shy about expressing our deepest convictions, and I think churches need us to, again, be vulnerable and express things that we don't talk about very often. Um, and so I, I just felt in that moment, the congregation applauded. They were not applauding me. They were applauding the, the, the something happened in the room. They were like, yes, 
Well, and I think they were applauding you in two ways. One is because, I mean, I believe that you are, you know, the particular peculiar leader who is right for this season Mm. in the church. And so part of what they're saying is, I don't think there are very many other pastors who would have, you know, named what had happened in the room in that way and would have addressed it. And, and, you know, then that's just not common. Maybe in other traditions that would be more common or not a big deal, but not in a Presbyterian church, right? Correct. So I do think people are applauding and saying, like, we're grateful that you're our leader and that Mm. you're helping us to be just plain and clear about the fact that we're on a spiritual journey. And so we're going to talk about spiritual things and we're going to lead from a spiritual place. So I do think they're saying, affirming you to say, you took a risk. And this is the other thing I think, you know, that you, in that moment, were taking a risk and being brave about saying, like, this is what I think being faithful looks like in response to this situation. And, I mean, you're not an idiot, so you can see a million ways where that could go really wrong and yes. really take things off the rails. Mm-hmm. And so the safe thing to do would be to say, like, well, I don't need to say it, and it could go really wrong, so I just won't. Or I'll just wait until I'm really sure or until I'm positive that nothing mm-hmm. bad will happen. Mm-hmm. And But you didn't do that. You you stepped into that moment and said, I'm going to be faithful. It, and it might go really poorly for me, but I'm going to be faithful. Yeah. And I think people really respond to that kind of courage because that's when we are leading as people who are being led by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Instead of leading out of our competency or out of mm-hmm. our plans or out mm-hmm. of our talents, mm-hmm. you know, really saying like, look, if I am not trying to be faithful to the Holy Spirit and leading out of that, then it like, what, what, what does it matter? Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think people are responding to both of those things, mm. um, probably even more than the content of what you're saying, because I do think you're probably stronger in the ability to discern mm. and respond to those things. And that might even have been beyond people's comfort level that you're going to stand up in the sanctuary and talk about demonic activity. And people are like, I don't know about that, but I can respond really positively to saying, here's someone who's standing up in front of me with sincerity and integrity and courage and authenticity. Mm. And that might be beyond, you know, what I know or understand or feel comfortable with, but we look for leaders who will lead us beyond. Absolutely. And so I think, I think that's really great. Well, thanks. So what is astonishing you? Well, um, Come on, come on. So, I mean, and I think the connection is sort of this being willing to be in a place to be courageous and enough to say, like, okay, I'm going to do this thing that I think I'm called to do, even though I'm very aware of how wrong it could go. Um, So I was really happy this past weekend um, to be um, at a wedding in Asheville with a, um, a friend who means a lot to me and her daughter was getting married and um, it was really an honor to be asked to go and to preach the homily for the wedding um, worship service. And they had picked their scripture, which was the passage from Ruth, Ruth's vows to Naomi, which mm-hmm. I on a personal level love. And I chose those for my, uh, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> I chose those for our, our own wedding vows. Um, so it's happy and then sort of trying to sit down and actually do the work on the homily. Um, and just, you know, anytime you preach, you, I want to be 
not generic, and I, I don't believe in recycling sermons, and I believe in fresh what? bread. Where, you know, it's important what? to me that sermons are like manna, and, you know, it's just every moment that we gather as a community is a specific moment that yeah. will never happen again. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like part of our job as the preacher is trying to be ever aware that, you know, this Sunday will never come again. Mm. There will be a Sunday, but not this Sunday, not with these people, not in this moment. And to be really seeking the Lord about, you know, what is the particular thing that you have for this day, for this day. Um, and especially for a wedding, you know, this is, this is this one moment that mm. begins this new life for this couple. And, and I do believe that marriage is a, is a covenant, you know, from God and is a, and is a ministry for mm-hmm. people and is a good thing that yokes us not just to each other, but helps us discover God. And anyway, so trying to name all this stuff and with this, these verses, which I love, um, but you know, they come from a very particular context. I mean, you know, the story of yes. what had happened to make Ruth make these vows to her mother-in-law Naomi on that day. And thinking like, you know, it's awkward to say like, okay, well, this woman made these vows to another woman who was her mother-in-law. And the reason was, you know, she was going to go back with her to her homeland after all of their husbands had died mm-hmm. tragically. Right. And so you stand up, you know, and, and so the reason those vows are powerful, the vow and the vows, I should say, is, you know, she says, you know, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And your people will be my people and mm-hmm. your God will be my God. And and when you die, there I not when, but where you die, mm. there I will die and be buried. And you know, God, may God, you know, may it be bad with me if I don't keep these vows to you. Yeah. And and you know, the reason that those vows are so powerful is because Ruth spoke them to Naomi out of a time of great tragedy where yeah. all of their husbands had died and basically everything was lost. And she, Naomi, was returning to her homeland in in despair and in great, you know. Um, peril you know danger there um patriarchal society but there was no man to provide for them or advocate for them or protect them and ruth was saying like i'm 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 not you're not going alone i'm not going to leave you and and so that to me is why those vows are so powerful is because they're spoken out of such tragedy um but it's awkward to stand up in front of a very well-dressed crowd of people in a beautiful place (laughs) with two young people who are about to promise to be together forever and tell the story about you know Tragedy. Tragedy, you know, just striking without warning. Um, And I just, you know, was really wrestling with, you know, I want to preach this text, but I want to, I can't just take these vows out of context and Mm. let them be like generic, pretty things. I mean, the reason they have power is not in spite of their context, but because of their context. And so I need to tell their context and then realize like, well, so what does that have to do with this day? And really wrestling with like, what is you know, how do you bring that? And it's funny, you know, you start the sermon and I'm just looking at people. I mean, you could just see on their faces, like this woman has lost her damn mind. Like, this is, Why is she wedding talking about death? and you're preaching about famine and death. And this is, um, it, you know, but really, I mean, it's that same moment of like, you know, sitting there and preparing this and being like, Oh, I really would like to choose something safer. Hmm. Um, mm, you know, like yeah, I just don't yeah, want it because this yeah, could go wrong. And yeah. if it does go wrong, like there's no do overs, right? <laughs> you will slide right? out of the ceremony. Well, and like, I don't know these people and most of them I'm never going to see again. And it, you know, it just, you know, I don't want to ruin this wedding. And, um, but I just, 
am astonished, much like you were in that moment, that mm. you, you take the risk of doing the thing that you think is faithful, even knowing that it could go wrong, and not feeling like God owes me to stop it from going wrong, because sometimes mm. you take those risks, and it just, like, everything you were afraid was going to happen, happens. happens. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for giving me a chance to be a fool for Christ, literally. I was going to say, even Um, in that, God is faithful, and we learn. Well, and also, I mean, like, like God's job is not to make me look good, Mm, right? mm -hmm. So, but but I do think, you know, in those moments, you know, it's astonishing in those moments when you step out and take the risk when, you know, the Holy Spirit really does move and, you know, people, you know, because you didn't do the safe thing thing Mm. but you also weren't trying to be titillating Mm, or mm -hmm, you know be the mm -hmm. center of things that that it's this moment where you really can actually preach the gospel and i think like that's a lot of my you know i was telling you that i was worshiping with another congregation on sunday morning and the pastor who was clearly very dedicated and a very smart and a very good speaker and very talented and you know the corner piece of his sermon was like singing a song for mr rogers and i'm like you know like I mean, that's just safe. Yes. And it's not the gospel. And it's not the gospel. And a lot of times when people respond, I think people respond to you in that moment and me in that moment. And half the time when people talk to me about the preaching moment or even the way we organize life at the Grove or something they find, you know, they're just like saying to me, like, that was so wonderful. And I'm saying, like, that was the gospel. Mm. Like, there Mm. was no, I wasn't creative There was no spin on that. I didn't come up with some extraordinary, like that was the gospel. What you're responding to is not me. What you're responding to is the gospel. And so often people, even people who have been in churches their whole lives have just not heard the gospel. Um, They've heard how to vote. Mm. They've heard, you know, how to be a social advocate. They've heard who's in and who's out. They've Mm -hmm. heard what they should do. They've heard, you know, what we stand for, but have not heard the gospel. Astonishing. Well, and it just, I I don't, I mean, that sounds, I mean, I'm sure that there've been many sermons in my life where I have not successfully preached the gospel too, but um, it's, it's, it's just always astonishing to me. Like when, when you do that and God does um, anoint the moment, Mm. at just how good the gospel is and how good the revelation is and how hungry people are for it. And um, anyway, so it's a good good day. Every preacher who's listening to this podcast right now can identify with the reality of preparing sermons, unless, you know, they're total egomaniac, preparing sermons and just wrestling with is this any good? Is this what people need? I'm terrible. No one wants to hear this. It's too long. It's too short. Whatever. They're like, I am so sick of my own voice. Yes. I can't believe anybody ever wants to hear anything I have to say ever again. And the reality is God takes limited, fallible, flawed people like us. The Holy Spirit works through us to proclaim the gospel, to change people's lives. And when they hear the gospel coming out of these vessels, I think it's good and right for us to be astonished by the work of God through us because we know that it's not its not simply our innate giftedness. It's not 
us. No, it's we, not our talent. And, it's yes. not our creativity. It's not our intelligence. Yes. And so we keep going. We can that that becomes a well that we can just drink from. It's like oh yeah, because this work can be really hard, and we keep coming back to yes, God uses even me uh, to proclaim the gospel in ways that impact people's lives, and I. I'm astonished by that. Well, and I think like a lot of times, I you know, you look at the resources and you look at whatever. I mean, you have this one life and just kind of, I mean, the incredible audacity to believe that you've been called to speak for God once a week, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you, you have to be an well, idiot. Well, few people in our society get the privilege, and it is a privilege, to stand before a group of people, have them go silent, and listen to us for 30 plus minutes, right? Okay, not 30 minutes, but all right. (laughs) Right. In our church, it's at least 30 minutes. But that's, that's that's a privilege few people get in our society, and we have that holy privilege every week, and it is... It is indeed a privilege. And so, um, but I mean, I think sometimes it's just hard to to wrap your head around the fact of like, why me? Like, who, you know, why not, you know, this person from that academy or this person from that pulpit with these 17,000 people or whatever? And you just sort of think like, you know, you, you begin to think utilitarianly, you begin to think, you know, according to the, you know, the systems and the scales of the culture of mm. like, surely everyone would be better served mm. if I took a seat and let the expert, whoever right. that is, yeah. 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 you know, yeah. do this. And, and so, you know, you really wrestle with that. And, and I think part of it is, though, coming back to the point of like, you know, but the point is that the gospel doesn't require an expert. And the point is mm, that good. the gospel does not require, I mean, it's the treasure in jars of clay. And so to be able to say, like, I'm not ashamed to be fumbling through this. I'm not ashamed to swing yeah. and miss because yeah. the whole point is I'm not here to look good, Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'm here to say that this treasure is not only accessible to us, but is designed mm. for ordinary people who are not preaching from the Crystal Cathedral or going to the Crystal Cathedral or sitting at the table of a Fortune 500. Like, this is not for um, the elite and the exalted, yeah. although they're welcome to come to the table too. Absolutely. But it is for every person created in the yeah. image of God. And yeah. so all of the things that we point to and say, well, this makes a person worthy. Mm. It's just not, those are not the markers in the kingdom. And that's that's why, you know, Paul is saying like, not many of you were wise according to the standards of the world. And not many of you were wealthy or honorable to be able to say that in the kingdom, you know, we are honorable because we've been chosen by God. That is why we, that's our identity. That's our power. That's our strength. And those other things don't matter. And so to the extent that you can walk out into the world clothed in your don't matterness yeah, yeah. and proclaim the gospel, that's what makes it mm. revolutionary and and um, and revelatory. So that's fantastic. The gospel does not require an expert. Yeah. 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 We yeah. should preach that some Sunday. Some no, Sunday. seriously, that, that's a great <laughs> sermon title. Well, that's true. That would be good. File it away. Excellent. This is free to anyone <laughs> listening to this podcast. All 10 of you can preach that sermon. <laughs> what are you thinking about? 
I'm so excited that this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Um, As a matter of fact, I have that tune from Christmas. It's the most wonderful time (laughs) of the year. Like, I I have that in my head. We put a countdown to Pentecost in the newsletter last week. So I was like, you know, like you've got a countdown for Christmas, but we need to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of the forgotten holy day. Um, Well, I mean... Not everywhere, but definitely. Well, I mean, well, actually, no, I would say in a lot everywhere. Of, in a lot of our churches, we'll decorate the sanctuary in red, but to go beyond the symbols to what the symbols point to, yep. the reality of the Holy Spirit working in the people of God, I, I think we we don't we don't go that far. With well, and it. I would say, I mean, what's interesting about Pentecost is like you got traditions like ours, like liturgical traditions, mm-hmm. who will like name the day, yes. but. I would argue often have a problem in walking in the reality of the day. That's what I'm getting at. And then you have other traditions that are Pentecostal, so mm-hmm. we're like always mm-hmm. trying to walk in the reality of mm-hmm. it, but not necessarily naming the day, right? Like Absolutely. Not. Yes. And yes. so it's yes. just this kind of, yes. so you're right. Yes. I think it is a forgotten holiday mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the people who mark holy days mm-hmm. don't know what to do with it. And the people who know what to do with it often don't mark holy days. Yes. And so yes. anyway. That's- well, um, so that, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about, and um, uh, I, I think I want to introduce uh, some words to our congregation, because they're they're just bouncing around in my head, and I think this might help them, uh, and um, one word is uh, cessationist, right? So we have, mm-hmm. I know it's a big word, I know it's going <laughs> to make me look really good like... on Sunday. So our congregation, many years ago, was part of a merger with... Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, a church in the ARP uh, denomination, Associate Reformed Presbyterian. And uh, those are wonderful, lovely people. Uh, However, they do believe and teach that the the gifts of healing and tongues and prophecy, that, that all ceased with the apostles and that... Pretty much what the Spirit does now is simply uh, bring people to conversion. We celebrate that. Um, uh, Work through the sacraments and something else I can't remember. But but when it comes to the miraculous, they hold that, you know... the God spirit, doesn't do that anymore. The spirit is now Presbyterian. It does yeah. what it does decently and, and in order. Yes. <laughs> Within the limits of reason. <laughs> so we, we just have a number of people in our congregation that come out of that. And we've never talked through, worked through, talked through the reality, or what I believe is the reality, is that the Holy Spirit is still at work. The same Holy Spirit at work in the book of Acts mm-hmm. is the Holy Spirit at work within us. Ordinary people like us. And so we there is a right expectation of the Spirit showing up and doing the miraculous and the wonderful. Uh, there, there's a proper humility that we ought to have to say, look, you know what? We can't do this without the power of right. the Spirit. Right, right, right. Not that we can, you know, if we jump up and down, turn around three times and say certain words that we can we can force God, force the Holy yeah, Spirit. It's not to, magic. Right? Yeah. It's not that either. But there ought to be this sense of the Holy Spirit is at work in very powerful, meaningful, miraculous ways and we want that. We embrace that. I think, you know, we talk a lot about, so the mission statement of the Grove is um, inviting all to serve and come alive in Christ. And 
the inviting all part and the serving part, you know, we can do that mm. in our own strength and power. Um, not as well as within the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. But, mm-hmm. you know, you add that third part about coming alive in Christ and just saying, like, we can't do... Like, I can't make anyone yes. come alive in Christ. Yes. Like, that is just beyond my power. And so there's something to me just really right about having a mission that requires us to do something that we're not capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to say, like, from the outset, this community cannot exist with integrity unless the Holy Spirit is alive and at work and functioning. There yes. is something that is essential that we are not capable of. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that's really, I mean, what, what you're getting at is we, we tend to want to limit our lives mm. to what we can pull off for Jesus. Yes. And you know, like, thanks for dying on the cross for me, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now for you, I'm going to be an activist in my community, or I'm going to you know, get this policy pushed through, or I'm going to make sure this Sunday school curriculum gets taught, or I'm going to start a mission in Africa, whatever it is. Or I'm just going to wait for the kingdom to come and... Expectantly. And I'm going to read the paper every day and go, oh, that's not the kingdom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just just kind of wait and say, okay, in the sweet by and by, something good will happen. Instead of, no, the spirit is at work empowering, leading, guiding um, to do hard things. Right. Well, and I think, you know, part of the thing is we sometimes decide that things won't make a difference, right? So mm-hmm. you could pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but on some level you're like, well, I don't know if I want to be and be, yeah. I don't think it would work yeah. anyway, so I'm not going to do it, right? Yeah. And I just wonder, yeah. you know, how many Presbyterians mm. ever have prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit or think like, that's offensive. Of course I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Who do you think you are to suggest that? And I'm like, I mean, I'm a jerk. We've already covered that. Right. So, but I mean, the reality is like, if the people walking around with Jesus, Mm -hmm. seeing the miracles, the people whose feet he washed, the people he fed at the literal first last supper, if they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit until they stopped and waited and prayed for it, why do we think Yes. Like, why are we offended by this idea that we should ever And, be and one wondering? of the things we teach is that we constantly, constantly need to ask for a feeling of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a one-time, you know what, that it's happened back. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got to keep asking. And that's good. It's right. And and Paul says, I believe in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, okay, you got to keep, at, and it's a continual action. Well, and I liked what you said about the creed on the walk this morning because that was very helpful and worshiping in a community that said the creed I had not noticed so say that again well part of what I want to say to our church and you know I I, I try to be very careful about being clear about what we believe but also not judgmental sure Sure. so I want to say to our congregation look uh, you were trained in a certain way to uh, view the Holy Spirit and uh, there's some things that are not your fault because when we say the creed, the Apostles' Creed, there's just that one line about the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I believe in the Holy Ghost. That's that, it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so no wonder you have this great gap in your, well, right. your and, thinking And not about only the about Spirit. the Holy Spirit, but just about like, like, and whatever. The creed was never meant to be the totality of sure, someone's whatever. Sure, I mean, what sure. it's meant to be is like, a, you know, a theology 
primer that you can tuck in your back pocket, yes. right? Like it's not supposed to be the whole thing, but, but, um, you know, what's interesting about that when you think about it is the creed is totally focused on what was done in Jesus mm. and what will be done in the future. And so people can be very well forgiven for thinking like, okay, so what my job is, is to sit here and hang tight mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, think right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But basically all the action happened in the past and in the future. Yeah. And so I'm just going to sit here and stay out of trouble. So what would it look like if we got a vision for the activity, the power of the Holy Spirit in our congregations, like right now, infallible, limited people like us. I yeah. think that we, you know, we do a lot of things in terms of, you know, seeking transformation and renewal in our congregations. Um, but I, I think this, this is a, a sweet spot. I, mm -hmm. again, I'm just so excited about this yeah. Sunday. So what, what are you thinking about? Uh, well, um, I started last week a book, um, by Pam Kelly that a friend lent to me called Money Rock, which is a, um, a, the story, the life story of a, um, a, the man who was really the prim, uh, prim, premier, primary, most powerful cocaine dealer in Charlotte. And so, mm. you know, grew up um, in the um, uh, in the housing development, it's this Piedmont Courts, mm -hmm. right across the street from um, what used to be Siegel Avenue Presbyterian yep. Church, which has mm -hmm. now moved on. And, um, and so it, it is a fascinating story. I mean, it's just good for me to want to know the particular local history of the powers and principalities that work mm. in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to me because um, within the pages are some of the histories of the institutions mm. locally. So things like Presbyterian Hospital, which is now called Novant, but is, mm -hmm. was that's very recently. But that Presbyterian Hospital, which obviously was founded by the Presbyterian churches, but was a segregated hospital until the mid-60s, right? Which is not a part of our history that wow. we talk about, name, mm -hmm. or learn, right? Nope. Just just all, that's a really important thing. Um, and it's interesting, the woman who is writing this book is a journalist um, for, I mean, this is not a recent publication either, um, for the um, Charlotte Observer. And, and when this man, and I'm, I'm blanking on his actual name right now, which is a problem, I know, um, but, but when he went to prison for the first time after a, um, you know, sort of a, a gun battle, um, she, she interviewed him and she talks at the very beginning about how, what a bad job she did in that interview hmm. because she didn't ask any of the right questions. She didn't wow. know the right questions to ask. Um, and so she sort of, you know, asked him like, you know, why did you do this and why do you feel about it? And I mean, it was just, it was dumb. And, and, and she said, you know, 20 years later when he got out of prison, she um, went to him and sort of knew how to ask the right, better questions wow. about like, who are you mm -hmm. and tell me about your life and tell me about, you know, how you ended up where you ended up. And, and it, it it's, um, I mean, it's not a surprising story, but it's an important story um, to, to read basically a about, you know, there's a lot of talk right now as there should be about like ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. And so mm -hmm. he grew up in a home 
with a with a really remarkable mother, um, but a father who was abusive, mm-hmm. and so he experienced a lot of that. Um, but you know, his mother was was really courageous and got out of the marriage and remarried mm-hmm. into a you know much safer situation and really did everything right, you know, advocated for him to get into great schools and you know, he was in the Boy Scouts and he mm. was connected to church and all, all these sort of things that I naively think are going to, you know, save people or yeah. protect people yeah. Yeah. Or, or fix yeah. people. But the reality is, I mean, twofold, A, you know, the, the spiritual damage that is done for a person doesn't just disappear but but b also you know our expectations often i mean well mine as a white person in terms of what somebody should do to play by the rules and work in the system is just such a um such a particular you know perspective because the system works for me and so you know they grew up in you know piedmont courts right before they moved in was you know was only for white people and the white people who lived in the public housing had black people who came into their houses to be their servants. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was just normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And just all the kinds of, you know, blatant discrimination that happened against African-American citizens that, you know, for him to choose to sell cocaine is to be able to say like, well, junkies are going to buy this for somebody like why? And he never used drugs, but like, why, if wealth is what Americans are supposed to be, and if all the other avenues to wealth are are cut off mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. then then who is it to say that this avenue should be closed to me, right? Like, I just think it's important really to sit with that, to mm-hmm. say, like, we want to tell a simple story and say, like, oh, this was a good kid who went bad and mm-hmm. did bad things without looking at his story in the context of the larger system, which is the system was racist and ruthless about mm-hmm. saying that all good things, power and wealth and opportunities would go to white people mm. and black citizens would get little to nothing. Mm-hmm. And for him to say, I don't, you know, I mean, and he would say, I, A, I haven't finished the book, but I mean, he, he is not saying he was blameless or moral or right, but it is just helpful to be able to say the story is more complicated than we want it to be. And we want it to be a story of like good people and bad people and a good side and a bad side. Mm -hmm. And the reality is there's a lot of badness in the good side and the good people. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of goodness in the people that we think are bad and on the bad side. And he's talking about, you know, how he within his neighborhood was very much known as kind of like a Robin hood and was like using the money that he made I mean, yes, for, for his own wealth, but also, you know, to pay people's rent and to, I mean, mm-hmm, it's just an interesting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like how, how people can be moral in a broken and immoral system and how easy it is to want to say, well, you know, this person is evil because they sold drugs, but not want to say, well, these doctors were evil because they worked in a system that refused to treat black patients, mm-hmm. right? So there's lots mm-hmm. of outrage about what this kid who grew up in poverty and abusive home in the ghettos, the evil thing that he did, but the mm-hmm. evil system that was perpetuated by wealthy, privileged white people, mm. well, that's complicated and that's nuanced. And we, they, when they knew yeah, better, they yeah. did better. But yeah, anyway, so yeah. it's very good. And particularly just to see how often, I mean, Charlotte is a Presbyterian town. And so to mm-hmm. see how often Presbyterian institutions and names and people show up in this story is really humbling. And to get back to the beginning of the conversation, just to realize that, I mean, all of this is a very spiritual battle. And, you know, we want to say, 
that there are just very pragmatic, programmatic um, solutions to fix certain people Mm -hmm. who some of us perceive as broken. And the reality is um, we're all broken and we all need fixing. And it all starts with a really deep, um, heartfelt place of repentance Mm, and then desiring something better. Because some of us like the broken system um, because it's working for us. Because it broke in my favor. (laughs) So so that's what I'm thinking about. In that broken system, leaders matter. And Mm -hmm. the courage of leaders Matter. Well, and one thing that's very apparent in this, which which I really admire, is that he um, went to really great schools mm. because there were really courageous, I mean, broken, but really courageous leaders who said, we are going to do integration in Charlotte and we're going to do it better. And mm. Charlotte, for a period of time, had a beautifully integrated school system that changed lives. Mm-hmm. And now... That's our school system has been completely explicitly resegregated that you've got leaders in my Huntersville community saying, we're not going to be the white knights riding in to solve your problems. I'm Mm. like, that is not a dog whistle. That is essentially declaring, I mean, like the white knights I know of (laughs) mm, wore hoods. So (laughs) if you're using that language, you're Mm. saying very clearly, I want my rich white town to have its own school system, and I don't want any poor black or brown people in it. Mm. That those those people mm. are somebody else's problem, yeah. and they deserve what they get. Mm. Anyway, whatever. So, I'm thinking about all of this. <laughs> so yeah. That's... What are you preaching on Sunday? Well, uh, we, I know what you're preaching. I'm it's preaching Pentecost. I, it's Pentecost. Yeah. I'm preaching Numbers 11 about the elders who got anointed and starting prophesying in the wrong place. And I'm preaching about in Moses, they, they come to like tattletale, say those guys were preaching where they shouldn't have been. They weren't in the tent of meeting. And Moses says, essentially, you're crazy that every place is the right place to be filled with the anointing. And every person is called to be a prophet and I'm longing for the day when all God's children are. Anyway, so I'm preaching about that. And I think that the title will be something like, well, I don't title my sermons, but the big theme is like, this is our Jerusalem. Mm. Like this is our place Mm. to be spirit-filled people. Yeah. This is our holy That's ground. Good. And yeah, love it. so I'm excited. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I'm preaching um, Acts 2, Day of Pentecost, and I'm pairing that with Acts 16, where Paul and his companions are traveling on missionary journey, and um, they want to go to one location. I believe it's the region of Asia, and the Holy Spirit says no, and they want to go someplace else. And uh, the text says the Spirit of Jesus said they couldn't go there. Um, either. And uh, that's when Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia. And uh, so we're just, we're, we're preaching the sixth core value, which is being spirit led. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, just really excited about preaching that and just going to focus on, we are a church that is saying we are going to be led by the spirit to places that are uncomfortable places um, that challenge us. We are not going to formulate a plan and then say, okay, God bless our plan, that we're going to seek God and say, give us your plan, even if um, it contradicts our own. Yeah. I I liked what we were saying on the walk about, like, we do not want our ability to follow the Holy Spirit to be limited by our wisdom. 
and our understanding. Like, I don't want to be obedient right up into the limits of my wisdom yes, or my understanding. I want to be led to the spirit by the spirit in a certain way where I can say, okay, you're asking, you're asking me to go to Macedonia, even though it makes way better sense to me to go to Asia mm-hmm. or to go to wherever, but I'm going to go to Macedonia because I don't have to understand mm-hmm. in order to trust that this is the better portion. Um, and I do think that a lot of our congregations are very sincere and people and myself, like I'm talking about myself, but I mean, we're very sincerely desiring to be faithful as far as we can understand it. But when we come to the limits of our understanding, that's where we stop. Mm -hmm. And the gift of being a spirit led people is then is that we can be led by the spirit to the limits of God's understanding. Right. So we can be led past our weaknesses Mm -hmm. and past what we could have ever figured out for ourselves. So that's an exciting thing. I know it's a long one. Sorry, friends. (laughs) But it's Pentecost Sunday coming. We got a lot to say. Yes, we have a lot, yes, a lot to say. Yes. Well, happy Pentecost, everybody.